0: You're listening to the City Lights Church podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. I can think back to my childhood, and can you think back to yours? Who was your hero? Like, and, and maybe it was your parents, maybe not. But who was your hero? Could have been a sports figure, could have been an actor, or it could have been a celebrity. It could have been somebody you knew. It could have been a teacher. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? A hero. Can everybody like think of your childhood hero? I'm just curious. Is everybody have one? Just. Go ahead and raise your hand if you have a, a hero. like That was clearly my hero as a kid. Some of you guys live sad childhoods. Like We didn't look up to anybody. Everybody was terrible. Ugh. I looked in the mirror and looked up to myself. Anyway, cool. Good for you. Anyway, I had a childhood hero. Um, as a kid, I was 10 or 11 years old, and I remember going to bed at night, turning on my radio and listening to the Baltimore Orioles and listening for the name Cal Ripken. Uh, go ahead and put that first picture up there. That is the first Cal Ripken rookie card that I got from my dad when I was a kid. Uh, I was stoked to have that. Cal Ripken's the guy in the middle uh, with the name Cal Ripken underneath of him, Um, in case you couldn't get that. But uh, that, I had that card as a kid. My dad got it to me, and I was stoked to have it. A few years ago, I got another card from somebody in our church named Ryan Ferretti, who's a gift giver. And uh, go ahead and flip to the next picture. That is one, that, there are two rookie cards. I have both rookie cards in my office on display. Why? Because he was my childhood hero. I loved Cal Ripken Jr., right? He was the Iron Man was the nickname at the game. him. Go, go to the next picture. In in, uh, 1995, Cal Ripken passed Lou Gehrig's record for the most amount of consecutive baseball games played by any player. Uh, The record was 2,130. It's currently, well, it's not that now. He passed at 2,131. I remember as a kid watching this on TV and being so excited. My hero now had a record. He was solidified. All my other friends liked all these Yankee players and Ken Griffey Jr. and like, ugh, all these other people. I liked Cal Ripken. I'm like, he's the champ, right? He's the champ. He passed that. I had this commemorative plate. You guys remember those? Do they still make commemorative plates? Mm -hmm. I had a commemorative plate that my dad bought me for Christmas. The only thing this 11-year-old boy got for Christmas was a plate, right? (laughs) That had a face on it. I have no idea what happened to that plate. honestly. I think it got broke when my parents moved somewhere. But anyway, Cal Ripken Jr. still, still holds the record. He currently, the record is uh, 2,632 consecutive games. So he passed that record. He crushed it, right? He was known as the Iron Man. Like, you couldn't break him. Just kept playing, kept playing, kept playing this morning I want to go to the book of Judges, chapter 6, and I want to see if you can find the hero of the story. We all have heroes in our lives, and sometimes the heroes, we, we actually look at the wrong places for the heroes. Um, last week we talked about how to know, to really, the issue of society is that there's an identity issue. People are looking at the wrong things or the wrong people or the wrong way of living and not finding their identity in Christ. And to know who we are in Christ, to know our true identity, to have real peace, to have real joy, we have to know who the Father is, right? Who our God is. And how we think of the Father completely impacts how we think of ourselves. We good? We're all on the same page? So that's the basis that we're going out to today in our identity series. Look at Judges chapter 6, if you would. Chapter 6, we'll read starting in verse 6. So... Israel is God's chosen people, and they keep getting into this cycle of serving God, serving idols, being oppressed, and then crying out to help, okay? And so God begins to give them a cycle of judges. That's why the book is called Judges, because there's judges who help deliver the people. Verse 6 of 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I want to point a picture here. God reminds them through a prophet, hey, don't you remember those years of slavery that you were in, right? What happened? I delivered you from them, and I reminded you that I am God, so don't fear the other gods, even though you're living in their land. If you're in the midst of other oppressing countries and you're surrounded by their gods, don't fear them because I am God and I am good, and I have saved you before. He's reminding them of who he is and his character. In the midst of their oppression to the Midianites, he's reminding them of who he is. Okay, Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith, uh, Ophrah, precursor to Oprah, um, <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Abiazite, while the son of Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine, oh, sorry, the son of Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." I want to stop there for a second. So the angel shows up, right? And there's Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Just so you know, that's not where you thresh wheat. He's hiding. It literally says to hide from the Midianites. He's hiding from them in a wine press. The reason you don't thresh wheat in a wine press is because you want the wind to catch it. You want the wind to catch it and blow away the, the, the chaff. It's like the bad stuff. Get it away so you have good wheat to use, right? You can't get much wind in a, in a wine press, right? Right? He's hiding out. He's in this hole, and he's threshing wheat, and he's just trying to get some food, and he's doing it the wrong way. How many of you guys have ever done a job the wrong way? Like, the long way. Like, that was silly. Like, why did I spend all these hours doing that when I could have done this? That's Gideon because he's terrified. Like, he is scared. And an angel shows up and says this, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He's hiding. Oh, mighty man of valor. The Lord's saying something there that doesn't quite make sense, right? He's, he's, he's a chicken. <laughs> like, there's a show called Arrested Development where they all make these like bluk bluk sounds. Anytime somebody does something, they all have their own sound. Oh, I'm not telling you to watch that show. Anyway, it's popped into my head, sorry. That's Gideon, right? They're all making chicken noises at him. He's hiding He's terrified. This is not a safe place to be. I'm not saying I would be out rolling in the streets, threshing wheat. I would probably be hiding there with him as well. Like, this is a bad place to be. They're being oppressed. And he's hiding out, and the Lord shows up and says, The Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. He's giving him a new prophetic destiny. He's speaking something over him. He's, I, don't think the angel's being, I don't think the angel's being sarcastic here. I think the angel is telling him who he is, even though his circumstances say he's somebody else. His identity is he's a chicken. The Lord's identity over him says, no, you're not. You're a mighty man of valor. Let's keep reading here. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and giving us, given us into the hand of Midian." I want to point out something here. So often the Lord will speak destiny over us and our response is, well, yeah, if God's so good, then why this? Oh, yeah, if that's who God says that I am, then why is all this junk happening in my life? How many of you guys are there like in this season right now? The Lord has said something that this is your identity, this is what I've called you to be, and your first reaction is to look at God and say, God, if you're here, if you love me, Take a peek. This is my situation. This is, this is what's happening. I can't see the mighty man of valor because all I see is I'm hiding in a wine press. Where's the God who delivered us from Egypt? Where's he at? God proclaims something over us and we see situation. So often that's what we see. Like we live in that state. Like This is the identity we can only see and we don't see this identity even though it's the prophetic declaration from the Father. Like this is who he sees us as. Keep, let's keep reading here. And the Lord turned, this is verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. God often responds to our nonsense by just reminding us of his call in our lives anyway. I love that the angel, the the Lord here doesn't even play with his whole guilt thing. Like, oh yeah, God's so good. And the angel's like, well, let me explain to you why the Lord's doing this in your life. Let me explain to you, you know, how God's still moving in the midst of your difficulty. Instead, the Lord just says, no, don't, don't you remember I just sent you? Don't you remember that I'm called, I, I just said something over you? I'm not defined, and you're not defined by your situation. I won't even play into that game. What I'll play into is the words that I have over your lives. That's what I'll remind you of. God responds to our nonsense by reminding us of his call anyway. I'm so thankful that in the moments of my crisis and my panic and my fears and my trembling and my anxieties and my doubts and my my worries and all those things, God just looks at and says, I still called you. I still told you to go do that. I still told you to pastor a church. I still told you to lead these people. I still told you to love your wife. I still told you to do this. I still told you to put your kids in the school. I I still told you I'm not worried about those things that you're worried about. I still told you. Don't you remember that? That's a good word for somebody this morning. God responds to your nonsense by reminding you of his call. That's what he's doing this morning. Verse 15. So verse 14 ends, did I not send you? And this is Gideon. Man, he's so cool. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the weakest in my father's house. So God once again tells him his identity and then we stop looking at what God hasn't done and we start looking at what we haven't done. I'm the weakest. So, so I can't win the battle against God so I can win against the battle against myself. I can't find fault in God so I'll find the faults in myself to deny the prophetic destiny that God's put on me. Verse sixteen, And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Let me pause there again. He responds once again to nonsense by saying, that, yeah, I, I'm not even talking about your lineage. I ain't even talking about your weakness. What I'm talking about is the fact that I'm with you, and you'll strike them as what? One man. Okay, so if God and Gideon... Okay, that, that's two. God says, no, don't worry about you. I'm with you. We'll strike as one. We'll strike as one. Your prophetic destiny in Christ is that you are hidden in Christ. So you are not two identities, you are one identity. That is Christ, the ambassador of the kingdom of God, the perfect manifestation of the Father. That's who you are in Christ. You don't have two identities. There's Jesse and then the God. No, there's God in me, the hope of glory. There's Christ inside of me. That's the only way that I can fight the battles that God has called me to fight. By reminding me of my identity in Him. We fight the Midianites. We fight oppression in Scranton. We fight, we fight drug addiction in Scranton. Not as me and hopefully God, but as one. As Him in me in the city. Does that make sense? That's your identity in Christ. It's awesome The strike as one man. Verse 17, and he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that you who speak, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring you out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the or the flour and he and meat he put in a basket and broth he put on a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them and the angel of god said to him take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them and so he and he did so and then the angel of the lord reached out to the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from rocks and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the lord vanished from his sight And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands. I want to... Show you what happened. So Gideon has this dialogue, this back and forth argument with the angel pro- pro- proclaiming prophetic destiny over him, right? And so he says, hey, hold on, time out, angel, so that I can find favor with you. I, I know that I found favor with you. Let me go and give you a present. Now, he's already found favor with him. There's already been prophetic destiny over him. Did he need to do some kind of present to win more favor? Gideon does it anyway. He's like, hey, hang out here, Angel. Uh, so that I know you're really an angel. Let me go get my house and get some food. And I love what the angel does with his food. Sit it on a rock. Burn it. <laughs> like, like, that's what the angel does. Uh, the angel's like, I ain't eating that. <laughs> like, thank you. Burn it. <laughs> that's what he does. I, I just think it's funny. Anyway. He doesn't consume it. And, and Gideon, and like, the angel disappears, and he's like, what? And he begins to fe- be fearful again. So he's already found favor, he's got prophetic destiny over his life, he gives a, a, a this weird offering thing, and then he begins to be fearful when he realizes that God's doing something, and the angel says, peace, peace, why are you afraid to die when I just told you I got something for you to live for? Like, God will often call us into our prophetic destiny, we take that one step, and then we start shaking like God's going to kill us, Like God's like, you haven't finished the job yet, like... I told you you would and now you're afraid that I, you won't. Like that, I mean, Kenny and Selena we sell, said about last week, they're moving into their prophetic destiny by moving to e, uh, to Rochester, not Egypt, to Rochester. <laughs> they're moving to Rochester to do what God's called them to do. And it'd be like them being in the bus or in the in the U-Haul on the way there and all of a sudden they're shaking with fear. Like God's already given them a word. Like you're, you're on the way to do what he told you to do. Like, when you finish, then maybe have some fear, but even then, why? Like, God told you to do something. It doesn't make sense. That's Gideon. This is a mighty man of valor who's shaking like crazy, left and right. We won't read through all the passages here because there's a lot to his story. There, there, what happens here is he, he realizes, okay, God's called me to do something. So at night, at night, he gets ten men, and they go out, and they start breaking down pagan statues. Right at night. Why at night? So that nobody sees them. The next morning, people are like, "Hey, what happened to our statues?" And I'm like, "Gideon did it. Gideon did it." And he's like, "What?" And and they begin. They want to kill him. And finally, somebody speaks up. It's like, "Why are you? Why are you Israelites defending the Midianite gods? Like, if Gideon's going to do this with his dudes, let him do it." And so they begin to give him this name. Like this, they they call him uh, Jeroboam. I think it's. Um, I just want to, make, yeah, Jeroboam, which means, like, let bell attack me. Like, let him come at me. Basically, they gave Gideon a name, come at me, man, is what they gave him. And Gideon's like, yeah, I like that name. Don't tell anybody about it. Like, I, I don't want this yet. Like, Gideon's still freaking out a little bit. And so, like, they give him this name. Stuff starts happening, and Gideon's like, yeah, God, I kind of need another sign that you're actually doing something. So, I'm going to put this fleece out. And like, let's make the ground all wet with dew and the fleece will be dry. And so the next morning, okay, Lord, you did what I asked you to do to prove it. Can you flip it around and do it again? Let's make the ground dry and this wet. Like, he's still like, this is a guy who's terrified to actually step into his destiny, right? So he gets these men and and God says, okay, you have this army. You got 32,000 men. That's too much. I want, let's read chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hands have saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away. Then 22,000 of the people return. That means 22,000 said Hey, he asked who's fearful. Yes, me. See you guys, I'm out. <laughs> like, like these guys were chickens to the point where they're like, yep, that's me. I'm a chicken. Like they were, they was like, I don't, I don't even care about my bride anymore. So there's 10,000 left. And the Lord says again, yeah, there's too many, too many. So go down to the brook and I want you to watch how they drink water. And the ones drinking water, like a dog, like licking it out of the stream. I want you to keep them. And so there's 300 of them left. So Gideon, this mighty man of valor, is looking at 300 dudes, and God's like, yeah, that's my army. Okay, now what I want you to do, Gideon, I want you to go there with clay pots and and flames. Go surround them, and then when I tell you to start yelling out, just yell and smash some pots around. So I have an inferior army. I used to hang out in wine presses because I was a chicken, and you want me to smash pots to win this war. Like, none of this strategy makes any sense, does it? God's like, I do what I want. I, I, do, I do whatever I want to do. Who's the hero of this story? Just, just curious, if you, if you figured it out yet. I'd like to tell you the hero of this story is not Gideon. Let me, let me just tell you what happens with Gideon real quick here. It's, it's so funny. So Gideon gets all, like, he, he's still afraid, and God says, okay, you're, you're fearful. I want you to go down to the army and listen to what they're doing. But if you're too afraid to, that, to go to that army, I want you to go over here to this guy that you know and listen to his tent." And Gideon's like, yeah, I'm going to go listen to that guy's 10. <laughs> like, Gideon won't even do option A. He goes to option B of what God tells him to do to get courage, right? Like, if you're afraid, do this instead. Gideon's like, yep, still afraid, God. He goes and listens, and he hears them having a dream and interpreting the dream. And the one guy says, this dream clearly means that God's going God's to gonna show up and destroy. So Gideon comes from here in that experience like, okay, finally I know we can do this. I know that we can do this. Verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside of the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also." every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon, the definition of a chicken, gets bold and he says, hey guys, do what I do. We're going to smash the pots. Everybody everybody ready to do this? And when we're there and we smash the pots, yell this out, for God and for Gideon. (laughs) Dude, you were hiding in a wine press and you're trying to take credit for this thing. And I love that God doesn't stop him from doing this. God did not stop him from representing the power of God. So often, i win victories in my life that God puts me on, and I want to be like, yeah, look what Jesse did. And God's like, okay, he did it for me. He did it for me. All right, whatever. Like, that is, that's how we fight our battles. We sing that song... It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how we fight our battles. When we know our identity in Christ, we don't fight alone. We fight through him and the power that he gives us with weaker armies, with weaker weapons, with all that junk and all of our insecurities and fears. We fight in his name and he gives us the victory. Isn't it awesome? That's the God that we serve. Who's the story of this? Who's the hero of this story? It's God. There is no place for fear for those who are on the Lord's side. I want, to, I want you to look at this story, I want you to ask, even in your own life, take it into your own life, whatever battles you're walking through, whatever stresses you out right now, I want you to ask, so if God made me in his image, if God is real, if there's a real God, and he's, he's got my, my side, is there any resources he lacks? Is there any more power that he needs so that we could win this battle? Is there any people that we possibly need, that God possibly needs so that he could win this battle? Is there anything that he's lacking? And the answer clearly in this text is no. God lacks nothing. He is perfect in himself. He accomplishes whatever he wants. He does not need anything else to win a battle. So if that's the identity of our Creator, perfect, flawless, without any kind of wants, without any kind of lack, if that's who he is, what does that mean for you and I? Our God is not only faultless, but he's also fearless. There's never been a time in all of eternity where the Father has been trembling because he was worried about an outcome of a situation. Never. He's faultless, he's flawless, he's fearless. It's who he is. Nothing has ever taken him by surprise. Ever. And it's that God who is never surprised, always victorious, who desires to share his goodness and his victories with you, his created beings. He chose you. He chose to create you out of the overflow of his goodness so that you could enjoy him as well. So why then do we look at him as if he needs something when it's us who needs him. Why do, then do we look at him as if he hasn't figured this out and live our lives in fear when he's like, I already, I already know all of eternity. I, I wrote your days down before you were born. I know the hairs on your head. Mine are getting less and less and I still can't count them, thankfully. I'm just curious, any of the older like balder guys in this room ever find that one hair that's like three inches too low from the others and you have that like real dilemma, should I pluck it or leave it? Like, that was me last week, the honest story. Like, that one doesn't belong there, but it's still a hair growing. That's a win. I eventually plucked it. I felt super bad about it anyway. It has nothing to do with Gideon, just so you know. I want you to to know that our God doesn't need extra resources. He's good. And he's chosen you to be on the winning side. God does not have the capacity to fear anything. And you were made to be in His image and reflect that. If we have been remade in His image, why do we fall back into fears? It's out of His excess that we even exist. So what is the point of fear? If God's goodness was overflowed to create you to enjoy His goodness, why are we afraid in life? That's the position that you exist in. So if your position is a recipient of goodness, why are we like Gideon still shaken? After the words have been spoken over us, after destiny has been written, after Christ has been buried and resurrected, why do we still wonder if he's good or for us? He's proven himself time and time again. I love that the story starts off with a reminder of Egypt, saying, I've done it before, I do it again. It's who I am. And it's who you are in me. Go to 1 John chapter 4. You guys still good this morning? We're gonna try, I'm going to try to rush through this quickly just to honor the grove and so that we can get over there in a decent time celebrating baptism. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. I want to I read through some of this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not Does not love, does not know God because God is love. I've talked about this so many times before. God does not have the capacity to love. He is love. He hasn't received love. He is love. God is love himself. So the name for love, the proper name for love is God. Like God defines love. Okay, make sense? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So love, perfect love, became manifest through Christ so that we could live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. So love isn't about us doing something first. It's about the fact that He did it first. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the way we express the fact that we know God in Christ, and we've seen the manifestation of Christ, God's love in Christ, the way we express that is by our love for one another, living out love. And when we do that, we recognize that God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Isn't that awesome? By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So there's that confession part. We confess, we've seen Christ, seen that he is God, and God abides in us and we abide in him. It's who we are. It's our identity. Verse 16, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has nothing to Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here's what he's saying here in this passage. He's like, hey, you guys remember that there's going to be a day of judgment? Guess what? You're in Christ. And if you're living in fear of that day of judgment, you haven't recognized that Christ has already absorbed the wrath. You've got no wrath coming at you. And if you're fearful in this life, it's because you haven't recognized the good mercy and love of the Father. He's already absorbed it. He's taken wrath. The judgment has already been consumed in him. So we have no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We've created, because we look at some of these Old Testament stories and we don't understand them, and we see these situations around the world, and we create this deity, this God, who just loves giving out punishment. If God is love and love casts out fear and fear has to do with punishment, how can God have to do with punishment? Some of you guys are like, that sounds heretical. No, it's the gospel. God is not about punishing you. God is about restoring you to himself, abiding in him. Isn't that beautiful? When we live in fear of punishment from God, it's because we haven't recognized love made manifest for us. We love, this is verse 19, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whomever he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He says the way we reflect the fact that we live without fear and we know the love of God is by loving each other. We cannot be angry and hostile and hate somebody that we see in person and say we trust and believe in this love that he has given us, the one that we don't see in person anymore. We respond to him by living love this way without fear. You guys still good? I want to skip to chapter 5, verse, verse 4, and I'll just read this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that he overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes? That Jesus is the Son of God. The gospel, God's word over your life is that not that you won't have opposition. Okay? You walk in obedience, you will have opposition. Jesus said that. You will have many troubles, tribulations, but take heart. This is what he says to the disciples. You will have many tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John, First John reminds us, you walk in love, you don't worry about fear, and when things come against you, when things persecute you, you don't respond to that in fear and shaking and worry, you respond to that knowing that He's victorious in you, and that He's given you perfect freedom, and that you won't stand one day before an angry God, you'll stand in front of the loving Father. I love that we sang those songs this morning that talk about he came running down my prodigal road. He came running with a ring and a robe. He comes to you in the midst of your brokenness, running from him, denying who he is, and saying, God, I want you to die. That moment of turning around saying, Well, even my father's servants have it better. Maybe I can work for him. He says, No, 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 you don't work for me. I come in the midst of your brokenness and I give you freedom. I give you freedom. That's the Father's love. That's the identity I have to stand in. I don't work to earn his approval. I don't have to do all these victorious things to earn his approval. I don't have to make sacrifices like Gideon was trying to do to earn some kind of approval. The Lord says, no, look, you're a mighty man of valor. Do what I've asked you to do. Do what I've asked you to do. This morning, I want you to know that God is fearless and faultless, and he displays his vast affections for you. So why do you think he wants to punish you? Why do you think you can't do what he's asked you to do? John chapter 5 verse 22 Jesus says this, the Father judges no one, but has graciously given all judgment to the Son. The Son, Jesus, came for what? Not to bring condemnation, but to come and give life and give it abundantly. Then he says in verse 45, do you think this is Jesus talking? that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hopes. Jesus reminds them that the Father is no longer wants to be this angry God coming to punish you for all that you've done wrong. He says he's given the Son, Jesus, all authority to judge, and the Son has come to give you hope. Do you think that I want to accuse you in front of the Father? No. The one who does that is the law. And you are setting your hopes in that. So many of us, still, even though we hear the gospel, are setting our hopes in the ability to keep the law. And God says, No, that produces fear. You can't see what I've done for you. Do you not know who I am? The Father is faultless, fearless, doesn't need anything, and He's given it all freely to us, sons and daughters. Is anybody excited about this this morning? Just curious. We cannot live our lives looking in the mirror and thinking God's angry at us. He is happy. He has poured his love out for you on the cross. And he has withheld all judgment for you who are in Christ. Only God—only what God says about you is true. Anything else that you believe is a lie. He is your creator. And so what he says about you defines you. We sang that this morning too. Like, Kenny, thank you for listening to the Spirit this week. And... I didn't tell him what songs to pick. He just picked them. Isn't that good? Like what he says, his thoughts define us. Isn't that good? Man. Can you stick around for another month or two? Just prolong this. First Corinthians talks about love. What does love look like? We, we like to say it at all of our weddings. So it's like, that's beautiful, right? And it's, it is beautiful. But perfect love is through Christ and through the Father, right? And so when he's talking about what love is, he's talking about God as well. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. So when he looks at you, the father looks at you, he sees and believes and hopes the best, not what you typically see about yourself. When I look at my daughters, even if my one daughter punches the other one in the nose, usually by that night I'm saying, oh, she's the sweetest. Like, <laughs> like my, our little one Grace we'll always we often say oh she's such a sweetie she's the same one who like poops in her diaper rips it off and wants to run away from us like not typically what i define as sweet right but the father as a father i look at her and say you're the sweetest why because she's my child and that's how the father who is love looks at each one of you you're the sweetest you're the best i don't have judgment i have love You can only love me because I first loved you. Now just respond to that. Abide in that love. Live out of that identity. I don't need anything. and I don't fear anything. So why are you? I've called you. I've given you a job. I've given you a task for me. So often we make heroes out of these temporary figures. And we assign temporary. If we don't don't make heroes out of these temporary figures, we assign temporary traits of our figures to an eternal God. And God's like, I'm, I'm beyond the figures that you created as heroes. I'm more than that. Yeah. Can you put up the last picture? This is Cal Ripken Jr. Now. <laughs> My man's selling Roy Rogers roast beef sandwiches. Right? At one point, he had to put the bat and glove down because he couldn't do it anymore. He's no longer the Iron Man. He's still doing a lot of things, but literally three days ago, there was a post that he's selling his mansion in Maryland. Why? Because it's too big. Too much stuff for him. He's downsizing. He's moving away from the legend that he once was to the smaller things and different things. Every one of our heroes that we establish will wither and die. Except the God of the universe, the God who looks at you, knows your name, knows how many hairs you have on your head, some fewer than others and says, your identity is that you're in me and I've given you a job. Stop, stop looking at all these other temporal things. Stop looking at the, your ability to keep the law or perform or get higher paychecks or, or whatever. I have no faults. I have no weaknesses. I have no fears. That's what he says. So, so why do we? Our creator, my creator, never downsizes. His kingdom only increases. His kingdom has no end. Isn't that awesome? That's the, that's not just his kingdom though. It's my kingdom too because I'm in him and I'm co-heir with Christ. That's your kingdom. Your kingdom has no end because his kingdom has no end. We win this as one, just like Gideon wins this as one. My identity cannot come from aspiring to be the next Iron Man, but reflecting on the eternal one who has called me according to his purposes. That's your identity too. The question I asked this morning, are you Gideon and are you hiding right now? Because if so, come out. Come out of hiding, stop living in fears and start listening to the identity he's put over your life. Listen to those prophetic words that the angel is speaking over you. Each one of us in this room have it. Each one of us in this room have been called for his purposes. That's, that's the reality of the gospel. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you that you are a good, merciful, perfect, loving Father. And this morning we respond to that. God, I ask for each of us that you would highlight the Midianites in our lives. Those massive armies that feel way too hard to conquer God, I pray that you would reveal those things and remind us that we've been called to be ambassadors. And it's not about the size of our skills or our lineage or who our parents were or weren't. It's about the fact that you're our father. You're Abba. You're the one that our spirits groan and cry out for. And it's in you that we have eternal victory. So even temporal losses that we see and feel are blips on the radar of our eternal victory in you. We know that in this life we will have many adversaries, we will have many tribulations, but we can take heart because you have overcome the world. We are overcomers in Christ. We are men and women of valor because of your words over us. Father, help us to live out our identity, our true selves in you. God, I pray this week we would look at ourselves in the mirror and we would see you in us and not our guilts or our shames. God, give us victory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.